the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffle Podcast, Episode 148. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Hello, Unruffled listeners. We are popping in at the top of the show to share with you several ways that you can help support the podcast. First, you can become a patron of the show by donating to our Patreon fundraising campaign. Please consider supporting our consistent effort in bringing you weekly content on creativity and recovery, all for less than the price of a latte. For just a dollar an episode, you will receive early access to each week's show and be the first to hear about our new Unruffled Retreat offering taking place in the fall of 2020. We only have 12 spots available and patrons will have first dibs at reserving their spot once we release it. The link to our Patreon campaign is www.patreon.com backslash The Unruffled Podcast. And that's not it. You can also share our show on social media or with your friends, and you can subscribe to the podcast and give us a rating on iTunes. All of this helps our little show immensely, and we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. To find out more about our personal creative offerings, one-on-one programming, and future Unruffled listener meetups, please subscribe to our newsletters or visit our websites. Links to all of the things mentioned here can be found in SoundCloud, or on our Instagram page for the show, at The Unruffled Podcast. Now, on to the show. So today on the show, we have Chris Marshall. And uh, Chris is from Austin, Texas. In 2017, he created Sands Bar. And Sands Bar is a place to make sober connections, sober and authentic connections. Um, He created an environment to inspire his guests to engage in sober fun and become the best versions of of themselves. He's been sober since 2007 and created Sands Bar as a perfect combination of his passion for creating life and work experience in both counseling and hospitality. Um, His inspiration for Sands Bar uh, came from his work as a counselor he would hear his uh, clients share the struggle of finding a place to go that was fun and energetic, but safe. And for people who wanted to go ha- and have a night out without alcohol, um, after becoming very saddened by the loss of, of some friends and, and family members, he uh, worked tirelessly in their memory to um, create this uh, experience. Yeah. And so after it was born in 2017, uh, the first pop-up was composed of about only like a half a dozen people. And Chris could sense that he was kind of onto something. He, he just kind of got that vibe. And so he continued to host monthly pop-ups until he found a permanent location in East Austin in May of 2018. And later that year, he decided to go on a national tour and promote the Sands Bar concept. Um, So beginning in Kansas City, the national tour visited Seattle, Portland, Anchorage, Nashville, St. Louis, New York City, Washington, D.C., and L.A. in 2019. 
So it, Zanzibar started gaining international success with the Toronto pop-up at the end of last year. And this year, he's partnered with a Seattle-based dry soda company to produce another 15-city tour, which is so, so, so cool. cool. And um, to date, there are three Sandsbar pop-up operations um, in Kansas City, Massachusetts, and St. Louis. And Chris has been featured on NPR Morning Edition, The New York Times, Washington Post, USA Today, Every Day with Rachel Ray, and the American Airlines, Delta Airlines, In-Flight Magazines. That was just all last year. Mm -hmm. And his goal is to have a sands bar in every city and teach others how to create safe, sober, and inclusive spaces. And we had a wonderful conversation with, with Chris, and we think that you guys are going to love what, what he's uh, serving up and a sober a sober community here. Um, you can check out his website. It's uh, thesandsbar.com. You can follow him on Instagram and kind of follow the tour and see when he's coming to your city. You guys enjoy Chris. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Good morning, Chris. Why don't you tell our Good. listeners um, where you're talking to us from and how much sleep you got last night? <laughs> Well, I, I, it, it is Austin, Texas, but it feels a lot like the Pacific Northwest where I was just flew in from. Right. Uh, at, I mean, it's, it's very soupy and foggy here this morning. Uh, but yeah, I, I flew in uh, from Seattle this morning. I landed at three o'clock. So um, yeah, life what on the you, road. What were you doing in Seattle? I was kicking off the Sands Bar uh, <gasps> Dry Experience 2020. Oh That's God. so exciting. So we're going to talk all about the Sands yeah. Bar slash Dry Tour for 2020, but last night was the first one? It was Friday night. Friday actually. night. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, exciting. Oh, Friday night, and then I spent a few days in Seattle, and uh, I'm sure we'll get into it, but yeah, just Seattle specifically just has such significance to my uh, recovery story, and I just believe that it is one of the most treasured places on this planet uh, for me. Oh, I love that. Oh, I can't wait to hear why that is. Okay. Yes. Um, all right. Well, and then the weather's probably similar too, so now we've covered the weather. <laughs> <laughs> Although I think they have a big snowstorm that's happening. Really? Yeah. I, just, yes. I got out just before the snow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Because I'm going to Portland this week and I know it's snowing is predicted for Portland and rain. So yeah, it's going to, it's going to be a different set of clothing, but um, yeah. Yeah. It'll be kind of magical. For sure. For sure. Oh. I'm planning on the days I'm going to go swimming this week. That's what it's like here. So <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Our friends in the, in the East coast and in Seattle aren't very happy with you right now. But. No, they're not. Sorry, but that's just, I got to speak the truth here. Um, okay, Chris. Well, the way we normally kick off the show is that we ask, uh, why don't you tell our listeners what your sobriety date is and kind of like how you came to the decision to quit drinking. Yeah. So my sobriety is February 16th, 2007. So in a little bit more than a month, I'll have 13 years sober. Wow. That's amazing, Chris. Very cool. seems like a very, when I say it out loud, it seems like a very long time, but it also <laughs> feels uh, like an incredibly uh, beautiful and brief amount of time to be sober. 
right? Because again, it's not just putting down the alcohol, is it? Mm -mm. <laughs> it's all mm -mm. the other, all the other work. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So how did you get, how did you get there? How did I get there? So, um, you know, I made the decision and it was a decision and I love the way that that's phrased because I feel oftentimes we, we talk about recovery and, and abstinence from alcohol and we think of it as a, um, like there was, there was no options left, right? There's nothing else you could do. So you pick this, this, this last option, which was to abstain or reduce alcohol in your life. And, uh, we, we, remove the the power of choice you know and i i do feel like um the choices weren't that great <laughs> so i could either keep doing what i was doing or do something different but i still had choice in that and i think that um just remembering that agency is just so important uh but i i made the decision because i was 23 years old um uh, i was drinking a bottle of vodka a day uh, but more more than anything i just felt so disconnected. I felt so directionless. I felt as if there was just no, I saw no future for myself. Mm -hmm. And at the rate I was drinking, there literally would not be a future for me. I, I was 23 and I did not believe I was going to make it to 25 at all. Like that was just not even in, I couldn't even fathom making it to the age of 25. So I decided to stop um, the merry-go-round of uh, trying to stop drinking, slowing drinking down, going to treatment. Um, I, I stopped because I realized that I had some other mental health stuff going on. Um, and the last treatment center I went to, they really helped me to understand that what I was dealing with was not just a... Um, a problem with drinking, a maladaptation to alcohol, I was also dealing with some other mental and emotional um, issues, which definitely encouraged me to self-medicate with alcohol. Right. That's what I was just going to say. You were self-medicating um, an issue that, that you couldn't deal with unless you removed the alcohol. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, but you know, for the longest time, I thought the alcohol was the issue, and uh, and honestly, I wanted it to be the issue. Um, and my father, uh, you know, when I was five years old, my father really went through some serious mental health stuff. We we'll later found out that he uh, was dealing with a diagnosis of paranoid schizophrenia, and uh, watched him really struggle with some mental health problems. And so for me, like having a mental health problem was the very last thing that I wanted. I did not want to be that. I did not want to be what I saw growing up. Uh, it, it scared me, frankly. So it was easier for me to focus on an alcohol problem than it was for me to focus on a mental health problem. Um, however, when I heard that, you know, it, it could be anxiety and it could be a touch of depression, Chris, that, that could be the thing that is driving your drinking. I felt this relief because I felt that I could put words to things that I've been experiencing since I was, you know, seven years old. Mm. 
Did a mental health professional help you figure that out, Chris, or did you figure that out just by yourself or talking to people? Because I think that's a really big point that you're making here. I think that's a um, anxiety, depression is a lot of what fuels people's drinking. You don't right. kind of know it when you're in it. And the alcohol just exacerbates it. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and it was a mental health professional uh, mm-hmm. that helped me to understand that um, that the problem was more than just the alcohol. In fact, uh, I'll never forget it because I was in I was in my last rehab, and uh, you know I had I'd been to rehab and I, I knew kind of how to play the game and I knew what to say and I knew how to sound enlightened and all mm-hmm. the other stuff. And um, this one counselor who did not have a problem with alcohol or drugs, but just was in the field because they cared. Uh, you know, said something really that just, it bothered me the way it agitated, that's the best word, agitated, it agitated me into really questioning things. And and that, that person said to me, if you're so smart, why can't you stop drinking? And I, I don't know why those set of words were the exact <laughs> words that got me to kind of uh, make a decision to stop drinking, but it, it challenged the idea that I could, I could think my way out of this. Or that mm-hmm. it was a failure of imagination. Uh, this was not because this was happening not because I wasn't smart enough, um, and and conversely, my intelligence wasn't going to fix this. Um, that I mean, I remember staying up. I stayed up all night in rehab, didn't sleep. It just bo- it bothered me so much. It 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 um it just disrupted this idea that I had uh, in my mind that I was both not in control, but then supremely in control. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like this, this duality of like being, feeling like I have no control. I'm a train running, you know, just without any kind of breaks. But then at the same time, there was this idea that I, I had control and that I could, I could figure this out. Right. Like this false sense of control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, but then the, that you do though, right? That you do have control over making a decision, right? You also are empowered right. by that too, because you're thinking like you can't overthink it um, and, and you can't think your way out of it, but yet you can. I think that's kind of, is that what you're saying about the duality? Yet, you know, it's kind of like you're up all night going, wait a minute. She's saying, you know, you're so smart. You know, why can't you stop drinking? And I think that's true for a lot of people. I think that they, um, we're together people, right? We're motivated. Um, we have like, big ideas um, and yet we can't stop drinking. And like, what's wrong mm-hmm. with us, right? We're, and we, we think we can think our way out of it. Right. And I think we look at success in other fields of our lives and say, if I can be successful in the corporate world, if I can be successful in education, if I can be successful in relationships, mm-hmm. uh, why can't I be successful in this? Why can't I fix this? And if I can apply the same drive, determination, um, you know, hustle in those areas of my life, why can't those things work with this problem? And and, and again, I, I, I don't know why those exact set of words were part of what made the decision, because I think it was kind of two parts, you know, as I slow it down a bit, it was that conversation coupled with seeing that I was 23 years old and I was in treatment with people who were 33, 43, 53, 
and they were all saying the same things I was saying. They were all like, yeah, I can't wait to get out of rehab and do this all over again. And, and I realized that not everyone just dies immediately from drinking. Mm. Um, I, I realized like that's exactly what the universe would do to me. <laughs> like it wouldn't kill me, uh, you know, immediately as I had hoped it would, it would probably just string this thing out for the next 20 years of my life. Right. And it would be a slow debilitating. End. And that, that thought coupled with this idea that I, I don't have the answers and I need help. Those two things made me want to take sobriety seriously. Mm. That's powerful. Yeah. It's like you saw your future and, um, and how you would just really be in a prison of your own making. Uh, that's, that's powerful. Well, what, what became an idea? When did you start seeing the first sparks of like a solution, how you could possibly make this work? Yeah. So I was very fortunate that the treatment center I went to, it was, um, you know, and I did something I hadn't thought about in a very long time, but, uh, as I kind of take my mind back there, uh, the very first meeting I went to, um, I, you know, shared, I didn't know how it worked. And I just shared about, you know, this, this story of like how I'm this, this, um, I shared the story about how I'm this tortured, um, artist who just really is just this brilliant artist, but is just so plagued by like drinking and none of it was true. Like I just totally told like a complete <laughs> lie. I can't draw a stick figure. Um, like I'm really not an artist at all, but I just, I don't know why I felt like I had to like give this story of this, like, you know, that's just, that's your brain on alcohol. Right. Um, but I, you know, I don't, I, I wanted to, but I wanted to belong. And so um, I think that story kind of answers that question is that I, I, I wanted to belong so badly my whole life. I mean, the, the through line in my story is connection and feeling ultimately disconnected from the world. Um, no matter where I was and in, in what environment I found myself in, I always saw the differences and never the similarities with anyone. I always felt that I was supremely different than everyone else around me. And so when I started to go to meetings inside the treatment center, um, because all they offered was just 12 step meetings, um, I began to feel like I belonged. And there was this guy that kept asking me the same question every week. Do you feel a part of, do you feel like you belong? And I would just say, no, I don't. And I, and I, and I just kept going and going until he asked me and I said, yes, I feel like I belong here. I feel like I'm finally a part of something and a part of group, a group of people that understand who I am. Mm. So key. It's, it's, it's so important when we're, when we're going through that to find our people, right? Oh man. Oh yeah. And, and for me, it happened through 12 step groups, but I am completely okay with people uh, finding that, you know, group of people who they identify with in whatever way that they can. Yeah. Well, I'm curious, before we get too far into this, you were 23 years old. Did you ever, um, because a lot of these people are older than you, like you said, in the group, did you ever think like, I'm too young for this? I'm too young to quit. 
I'm too young to remove oh, this from my life. Because I, I, I hear that from some young women that I speak with. And sometimes I think like, I have so many years ahead of me to keep drinking. I can quit later. Um, and I'm just curious, like, do you, does it, did it feel like, was that a part of it, your age going, I'm not ready yet? Oh, I, that, I, I think that probably kept me drinking another 18 months to probably two years. Mm. Uh, just knowing completely. In, in fact, from the second time I drank, I knew that I had a problem with alcohol. I mean, I, it was very evident, you know, at, at 16, when I you know, mixed uh, chocolate milk and tequila and uh, <laughs> decided to, to, <laughs> to crash my mother's car into a, a fence. Um, like I had a problem with alcohol from the very start. Yeah. But a big part of why I didn't stop was because I thought I would be missing out on on everything. Right. Because it's the, cult- the culture we live in. It's, it's, it's everywhere. Yeah. I've never heard of chocolate milk and tequila, though, Chris. I never put that well, together. Well, you know. That's a new one. <laughs> that, well, that, let me just, like, that's, that's where I was at, okay? Yeah, you know, right. Like, that's sure. Very so right. much like being a kid and thinking yeah. like a kid. And... Yeah. Um, and also being just very insanely wildly drunk already. And just like that, that just kind of paints the picture of where I was at in my head. Just, just not all there. It wasn't drinking for anything other than to get drunk. Right. Um, right. It's not discriminatory. It's not, uh, you know, you're not like crafting some delicious <laughs> cocktail or anything, no. nor is there no. <laughs> you know, an off switch. That's the thing I think too, that shows up right away when there's no off switch. Oh, I'm so glad you said that because that is true for, for me personally. Mm-hmm. I did not have an off switch. And for the longest time, I thought that that was a curse. And now that I see that, I see that as a gift because not having an off switch enabled things to get so bad so fast yeah. that I was able to stop at 23. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the gift. You know? Well, the, the chocolate milk part is just making me think of, yeah, like a kid just a kid, just a sweet kid trying to figure it out. And yeah, right. that's what you do. And you're 16. Right. I'm right. So- and I badly wanted to, to belong to my friends and my peer group who, who were drinking. So, yeah. you know, that, that really symbolizes like this innocent kind of kid who doesn't get, doesn't get it. Right. But then wants so desperately to belong to a, a social group. Right. Mm. So when you, so you did 12 step, do you continue to do 12 step, Chris? So yeah, um, yeah. 12 steps are still a part of the overall thing. Uh, I've, right. I've added over the course of my you know, recovery, I've added so many different things, but um, I still count 12 step meetings as it has value in my life and it, and it does, uh, it does help me. Yeah, me too. Well, so, so you got out of rehab and you just kept, you just kept going. You just kept adding to your tools and building community. Is that, that how you stayed, stayed sober? Yeah. So a really important thing happened. Um, and I didn't recognize it at the time, but this would go on to shape the rest of my life. So when I was a counselor, I used to tell people that when you get out of treatment or when you first decide to stop drinking um, or do other substances, those first couple of hours are like an like the new hour or the hours of a newborn's life, right? The first couple of 
hours and minutes of a newborn baby's life can dictate its entire life's arc, mm-hmm. right? If we don't get enough oxygen in the first couple of minutes of life, the next decades of our lives are drastically changed. If we suffer brain injury very early on in our, in our lifespan, um, we, we have problems that, that sustain our entire lives. And, and a new direction in life is no different. And so those very first few hours of our new life have to be filled with the most crucial elements, the most basic building blocks um, of of life if we're going to sustain a, a change in that in direction. So for me, uh, meetings were a big part of that. But more importantly, um, there was a group of people that came together after the meeting, and we would go to uh, – I don't even know the name of the place in, in Houston, but it was this Mexican restaurant, and uh, there were about 20 of us. And I would go – and I'd be awkward. I'd feel awkward. And everyone was older than me. And, and it was, everyone was wider than me. And there was, a, there was a million different things that I could say that would disqualify me from belonging to that group. But I started to focus on the similarities. And that group, they just loved on me for that first year of my sobriety. Mm-hmm. And that love enabled me to love myself enough to really sincerely want this. Um, that, and then, then I made a trip to Seattle, uh, in the very first few months of my sobriety and I had never been to Seattle. And while I had made a decision to stop drinking, I still kept a, kept an option on the table, right? I kept it in my mind as you, you can go back to drinking, uh, this, this, is still an option for you. This is something you can still consider. Um, and in fact, I had planned on when I made this trip to Seattle, again, just a few weeks sober, I, uh, I had a plan to, to drink in Seattle. Um, so I went on this vacation and my mom was there on a conference. She went to our conference and she left me alone. And I was in downtown Seattle, a place I'd never been. And something just just hit me. The the I don't know if it was the chill of the air, if it was just being in the Pacific Northwest, um, which geographically just feels different to me. I mean, it is it is different, but it feels like a very special place on this on this planet. Um, I was just blown away by the sights and the sounds. I went down to the market and the colors looked like heaven and there were smells that were just just I mean it just woke me up and right then and right there I made a decision that drinking could always be something I go back to but my decision is going to be to stay sober wow so you I think because you know when we're, when we get sober, when we have, you know, been drinking for a while and you feel this, like everything is acute, feels acute and clear. And, you know, you notice birds singing that you've never heard before. And, you you know, some people call that the pink cloud, but regardless, it doesn't always feel like a pink cloud. You're just, 
you're just more alert, you're aware, mm-hmm. you're present. And yeah. I, right. And I think, you know, because you, you probably got to take that trip at just the right time where you were still, still kind of, um, again, like you said, feeling like a newborn baby kind of thrust into life where you're just kind of taking in everything. Um, I'm sure it probably felt like almost a spiritual experience. Oh, I mean, it it definitely felt like a spiritual experience. It was baptism in technicolor. I mean, everything felt like it was in technicolor, the whole, the whole experience. And, And I was just, I was just at the market yesterday, not even 24 hours ago. And I, I can see how when your life has been black and white for, uh, the last, you know, eight, nine years, and you've been severely depressed and just anxious of everything around you, how that experience can, can feel like this beautiful new world. Mm. Like everything's in technicolor. It's, it's, um, and it's also can be overwhelming too, right? And and when you're new to sobriety, like it can be that Mm -hmm. everything is just, um, electrified and I don't know, for an anxious person, I have a lot of anxiety in, in my story. And I didn't fully realize that, I didn't realize that until I got sober that I suffered from anxiety, you know, like it was mm-hmm. kind of like the light turned on there. But that every situation that I would try that was new, um, yeah, it felt vivid. It felt electric and it felt, felt good and bad sometimes, <laughs> you know, like you're feeling so much. But you're right. I think just seeing the the market like you're describing and feeling it, um, I think it's such a beautiful awakening, but it can be a little jarring at first if you're new to survive. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I was still really struggling with my anxiety. Um, and what I learned is that not everything is a um, antecedent for my anxiety. I don't even want to use the T word. <laughs> um mm-hmm. Triggers. I want to use the word triggers because I didn't, that word is loaded, pun intended. Um, <laughs> you know, I I really believe that some things really really set off my anxiety and really make me really anxious, and some things that I think would don't. But I have to have that experience to know what it is. And for me, um, being in large crowds um, when I'm not you know, the focus of attention is actually pretty soothing to me. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, being in a bustling environment, actually, I don't know, there's just a lot for my attention to focus on. And it kind of, my, my own thoughts about myself kind of melt away, my own emotions kind of become more here and now, and I'm focused on, on all the things I'm taking in. So yes, for some people that the thought of like, bustling people and people taking pictures and people throwing fish and you know just all the things that you would see in that environment that might cause them anxiety but for me it discharged all of that it it totally took it out of me and put it into this frenetic beautifully organized environment Mm, I love that I love that so you just felt like you were one pulse and many this kind of living, breathing organism. That makes sense to me. I feel that way too. And in large spaces or in large crowds. Um, Yeah. And right. And it's just finding it's, and I think with anxiety too, I don't, 
suffer from it entirely. It's not that I'm completely immune from it either, but you're right. You can either live in fear um, or you can figure it out. Yeah. Well, the mm. longer that, the longer that I'm sober and knowing about my anxieties, like where I started five years ago is not where I'm at today, you know, and going, like I went to this yoga thing last night with a bunch of strangers to support my friend Natalie, right? There's a bunch of strangers in the room and everybody's doing restorative yoga and laying on the ground. And I, I, I get nervous in new environments. Um, and I realized when I walked in, I was like, Oh, this feels fantastic. I know five mm. years ago, I would have made a big story about that you know, or going to Costco or going to the mall. But now I feel that I can do these things and I, it, that feels like growth, you know, and it's like you're saying being mm-hmm. one of many doesn't feel as scary to me now as it used to. And that's all from just working diligently every day a little bit. You know, I think that's, I think that's true. And, and it's I, very hopeful for me to hear that from you, Chris, too. Cause you know, concerts, I, I had a mild panic attack or the start of one last summer and I just realized, well, maybe I'm not there yet. Maybe sitting in the middle seat of a middle row or in the middle of a row at a rock concert's not, I'm not there yet, but I'm not afraid that I won't, you know, I, I know I can get there. I think that's, that's beautiful because no one is exactly self-actualized and perfect and where they need to be what? always. <laughs> I know. Right. Shocking news. This is news um, to me, Chris. <laughs> you know, and I think, I think part of the anxiety that I lived with for so long, which I, which I really do think all this anxiety in my life just caused me to feel like I just couldn't do anything. And that just caused a real um, depressive state in my life. Right. This like, Oh my gosh. You know, but one thing that I think always bothered me was that I could never measure up to to what I thought everyone else was doing. I thought everyone else had their lives together. I thought all of my friends knew exactly what they were doing in life, and um, and and no one knows what they're doing. Uh, right. Just, it's, that feels like <laughs> the big cosmic secret, right? That once you figure it out, it's like, oh wait, nobody, nobody knows. Everybody suffers from self-doubt and and anxiety and worthiness and all of those things so true i mean we we all suffer from a bit of imposter syndrome or feeling as though we don't quite deserve uh the things that we have and it it is helpful to know that we are all at some point in our lives either going through that or going to go through that Sure, sure. Well, let's talk about, let's fast forward a bit and then talk and talk about how you got from there, that walk in Seattle to starting a sober bar in Austin, (laughs) which for you listeners who've never been to Austin, Austin's not like a little city or anything. It's a pretty big place. And I think it takes some some moxie to just appear on the scene and, and open your doors and say, I'm going to do this and they will come. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and, and a lot of ignorance too, like (laughs) a great deal, not knowing what you're doing helps immensely. Let me tell you, um, 
yeah, it's it's not all boldness and courage. It's a lot of it was just ignorance, but uh, in, in the best way possible. So the leap from that moment in Seattle, you know, that that road in Damascus kind of moment for me, uh, was not a big leap. You know, I, I would go back home. I would stay sober. I'd get back into that community. And that community was a through line. I moved to Austin um, and then became a counselor, um, went to Austin Community College to become a counselor. And then I started doing my thing as a counselor. And I found out that I was really good at it, mostly because I identified so intimately with people with co-occurring disorders who were dealing with both a mental health problem and a substance uh, abuse or misuse uh, disorder or problem, right? So I, I I felt like I was in a space where I could really really help people, and uh, loved that job, loved helping people. My one of my favorite uh, roles was working in a detox facility uh, in here in Austin. Loved doing that because people were still high when they came in and still drunk, and it was just a great experience to walk through those very early moments. I mean, it's, it's literally the labor that we have to go through to get to the other side of this, this beautiful life. And I got to facilitate that. And, and through facilitating those, you know, rebirths or, you know, those, those chances to recover um, our lives, I noticed that there was a through line for all of the people, especially those who, had tried to stop their drinking or substance use and could not. And the through line was they could not find community or create community once they left their old peer group. So they would leave the peer group that they were, you know, drinking with their drinking buddies, their, their, their mom group where they all, you know, drank wine and they get better because they knew that they needed to get better. They go through treatment. Um, if the, if, you know, of course they were in treatment, but then, then what, you know, then what do you do? And for me, I, like I said, I was fortunate enough to have these people in that first year of my sobriety that just loved on me and made me feel a part of until I really did feel like I belonged. And that, I believe that is what helped me to stay sober ultimately amongst other things, but that more than anything helped me. And so I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just, I continue to lose a bunch of clients. I mean, and when I say lose, I mean, died. I watched mm-hmm. a lot of people die, uh, overdose, die through suicide. Um, people I worked with on a Friday, I get back to work on Monday and found that they had, um, used heroin again or they were drinking and driving over the weekend and did not survive um and it it just i mean i've I've told this you know 500 times now but every single time i get here um i definitely get emotional because that that just did not I, i could not live like that and and accept that that's what the best we could do for people like the best we could do for people was to get them better for 30, 60 or 90 days. But then after that, they were on their own. Right. And 
Or here's a 12-step program, and if you don't like the 12-step program too bad, um, it's, you know, good luck. You're on your own. Yeah. And, and most of those people that, that didn't make it just did not jive with the 12-step model. And Right. They weren't constitutionally you know, incapable. They were – they just – it wasn't their jam. It just wasn't their jam. And, and, and as someone who and – and I'm not ashamed to say that 12-step programs really helped my recovery. Um, but as someone who does, you know, support that as an, as an, as an option, right? Not the option, but an option – um, I completely support anyone who needs to go beyond the rooms to find what they need. Yeah, because if you because they're when you're in there, I'm in the rooms too, Chris. And when um, I think my feelings are changing as of late in terms of just I don't like the black and whiteness, right? Of it just going like you're either in or you're out. You're either you do this, it's my way or the highway or kind of that kind of thinking. And I think that, um, I'm shifting in that, in that thought, you know, and I think that's what the whole point of the program is, is to grow and to change and develop a life outside of your, um, alcoholism, you know, that you're creating this new beautiful light. You are the sunlight of the spirit. You're following, you know, all the things. Um, and I think sometimes there's a lot of fear associated with, with going outside of that. But I think we're in such a fantastic time and like what you're doing and building connection and building community. Um, mm-hmm. how, how did that, how did that come about your Sandsbar idea? So Sandra started off like telling like Austin's a big place. And yeah. So, so yeah. Yeah. And, and it's my home. And, you know, I saw that. Yes, it was, it was true for the people I was working with that they were having a really hard time finding a new social group. But I felt that that was true for a lot of people in Austin. Austin's a very transient city. Um, People move here at a, you know, just alarming clip. I just, you know, people just move into Austin and move out before they've even had a chance to change their driver's license. (laughs) Um, And with all that movement, people just don't have a chance to get connected. And so really I started to understand that this, that this issue of finding community was larger than um, people that had a substance use problem. This was, this was a human problem. And I wanted to create a space that spoke to that. And the best way that we connect is without, without alcohol. That is just true. Without any filters, we are wired for connection. And so Sandsbar uh, was my answer to, the, to, that, to that problem is how do we connect as humans? And uh, I had the first pop-up in 2017 and uh, six people showed up. Uh, <laughs> not quite the bustling success I thought it would be. <laughs> um, but it did not matter. It, yeah. it was just like that first drink that I had. Um, it, in that it was, I knew that this was going to change my life. When I, when I took that first drink at, you know, 15, 16, I knew that that was going to change my life. Uh, when I met my wife at community college, uh, going to become an addictions counselor, I knew she was going to change my life. And when I had that first pop-up, uh, in 2017, I knew that this experience was going to change my life forever. Mm. 
And um, so even though only six people came in the door, you, you weren't discouraged. You knew intuitively that you just needed to keep going and keep opening that door. Yeah, because I, the people that did come were just so excited to be there mm-hmm. and were so excited that, that there was even a concept like this. And I didn't create the sober bar concept. I don't own the sober bar concept. Um, this, is, this has been going on for like a decade in Europe. This is, this is just reaching the United States and North America, honestly. Um, you know, we're, we're kind of behind the times in a, in a lot of ways. But um, what I did create is my own signature brand of sober bar. And, and that's where um, I really want to make it about connection. So, um, you know, yes serve great drinks, yes, have a cool space, but really make it about creating community and creating relationship with people, um, connecting around this idea that we get better together. Mm. And so how are you, how are you facilitating that? Yeah, so we're, you know, here in Austin, we're open every Friday night and the space itself is it's just it first of all it's in a very interesting physical location um you know that that part of austin east austin has seen a lot of changes over the last 10 15 years and the space uh is is owned by a church but it's a community center and so when you walk in you can just feel that this space is just used by everyone it's 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 my space it's your space it's it's, it belongs to all of us. And then that's what I like about it. It doesn't feel like this is a, a bar space where you have to be anything other than yourself. Mm. Um, and that's not something that I, <laughs> I didn't create that. That was already present. But when I walked into the space for the first time, I was, I was blown away by that feeling. And everyone that has come to that space, they feel that it, that presence of like, this is, this, yeah, this is, this is our space. This, this, this space belongs to me too. Mm-hmm. And looking at it from the outside, Chris, it looks like it, everything just kind of grew organically. I mean, I know that you're the face behind it and you're a, you're a great face behind it. So I can see you, your personality, your warmth and openness attracts people. You, you just have that certain energy around you. So I can understand why people would want to come and hang out with you, but would you say that it grew organically? You know, I, hmm. I, I think, I think of it like a, like a surfer and when you're in the water, you catch the wave and Sands Bar just happened to be in hmm. the water when this sober curious wave came up from the ocean. Right. Um, so as much as I'd like to take credit for uh, this, this growth in this, this last year of my life, I cannot completely take credit for the wave. The wave has been created by wave makers uh, like Ruby Warrington, Laura McGowan, and Holly Whitaker. Um, I just happened to be in the water when that that wave uh, began to crest, and I I wrote it uh, to uh, 
to, to great heights. Right. And that was just chance and circumstance. But I guess also what I'm getting at too, is you didn't have like a PR person that was sending out press releases for you and no. all this marketing behind the scenes. Right. No, no. I started paying for with 200 bucks. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, like there, you know, you created man, this. I cre I created it. And, and to that idea of creation, I'm glad you threw that in there creation because I, grew up a creative. Uh, when I was, you know, a kid, I used to have this invention binder and I had all these, these things I was going to invent oh, Chris. Uh, when I was a kid. And <laughs> <laughs> you just said binder. Like, You're making me really excited right now. I love a three binder. Okay, go oh, ahead. Oh, <laughs> I, I had binders. I had, you know, notepads. And my mom is, I mean, she's, she's so lovely. She, uh, she'll every once in a while give me or send me one of the poems that I wrote when I was a kid. And, uh, it, it's, it's the best gift that I've given to my, I mean, it's almost as if I, I just ship these ahead, you know, in, into the future and my mom gives them to me to read. And it's incredible. Um, just at the right time, the right poem. Um, and it's a, it's, it's a beautiful part of our relationship, but yeah, I mean, I've been creating, um, Oh my gosh, since I can remember, you know, and, and I wanted to be a journalist when I was a kid. Before I ever picked up a drink, I wanted to be a journalist because mm -hmm. I loved writing. I love words. Um, I love reading. And, um, you know, I, I just, I wanted to be a journalist so much because I loved telling story. And part of what I loved about being a counselor was telling story and understanding people's stories. Mm -hmm. And then, rewriting a different story and, and and I really took that journalist that kind of instinct instinctive journalist inside of me and, and put it to the task of helping people understand um, the causes and conditions of their um, their substance problems and also um, writing this new this new future for them so I've always been a creative mm -hmm. and now what I get to do is to use that creative energy in creating drinks and curating event, uh, events across the country and, uh, you know, Toronto um, last year, I, I get to do creation. I get to do it and, and, and be it. Um, so much of, to Sandra's point, so much of what helped this grow was this idea that I could create this kind of space for people to connect to each other. It's very field of dreams. Like if you build it, they will come, right? Like that's what I think about these. Yeah, I mean, the I, first time. I, yeah, <laughs> and you were like, I'm gonna build. I would like this thing. Yeah, that's what me and Sandra started the podcast. We would like to talk about this, and and let's do it. You know, and um, yeah, you get you know 17 listeners, and you're like, oh my gosh, we have 17 <laughs> listeners. <laughs> you know, oh, we yeah. almost have three quarters of a million downloads. We're super excited, and wow. yeah. For 17 are just as exciting as what, what's going on right now. But for you, like to see, uh, you have, do you have a permanent space now, Chris? Is it where you go every Friday night or is it once a month? Yeah. So, yeah. So, so that, so that um, spot in East Austin is our permanent location. Uh, we're open every Friday and we were doing Fridays and Saturdays, but we're paring that down because I'm learning to say no. Wow. Um, <laughs> right. I'm learning, you know, it only took me 12 years of sobriety, mm -hmm. but um, I'm finally learning to exercise like a healthy, you know, work-life balance. And 
um, to say no. And, and honestly, that schedule just isn't sustainable with, you know, me and, and I have some bartenders that are fantastic and I, I, I love them, but you know, a national tour, um, you know, I do some consultation for people who are wanting to start their own sober bars. Um, you know, then it's just managing Austin and handling everything else that comes with that. It, it's a lot. And so I've just gone back to Fridays and, yeah. um, you know, that, that's, that's just the way it's going to be for now. I like that though, because I don't know about you, but as a sober gal, like, I, like one night a week out, that would be like the max I could do, <laughs> you know? So you could focus right. it instead of saying, oh, Friday or Saturday. Eh. No, if I know it's just Friday, that's when I'm going to go. So I think that's right. And it, yeah. And I, I hope that people understand that, you know, that, um, you know, I, for the longest time I debated about it because it felt like I was stepping backwards and um, that it would delegitimize what I was doing. And then I just, you know, I challenged that like, wait a second, you're, you're just, you're just kind of stepping back into that people pleasing role, right? Like you, you're doing great. You're doing good work. And this enables you to do things outside of Austin, but I can't be in, you know, four places at once. So boundaries, yeah, I made that decision. Boundaries. Yeah, I think listening to your, your gut, listening to your intuition in business is key, you know, and it's, it's, there's, you certainly can't overstate that. Um, so tell us what you have said yes to what's on the books for Sandsbar for 2020. So my goodness. So we were very fortunate to, um, create a partnership with dry soda company, uh, which is a Seattle based company and, Dry Soda has decided to strategically invest in Sandsbar Austin and then uh, in the tour that we're going on this year. So last year we did nine cities in nine months, and this year we're doing 15 cities in 11 months, I think it is. Wow, that's amazing. And these are all like a pop-up. So you'll go to this yeah, and it's a pop-up location. Yeah, it's so fun. And I, I think that uh, – if you'll indulge me for a second, I'd like sure. to tell people what that's like. So, yeah. So what happens is Chris flies into a city. Uh, most times I've never been to the city, which is always fun. And, uh, yeah, I, I work to create an event in a nice venue. And when you arrive, it is a bar-like experience. But it, it, also, it always kind of varies. But drinks are part of the deal. So when you purchase your ticket, you get unlimited sober drinks um, from our, you know, fantastic drink sponsors. What's that noise? Do you guys hear that noise? <clears throat> Things have changed. Okay. Are you there, Chris? Yes, I'm there. Oh. Well, it sounds different. I'm sorry, you guys. The sound has just gone wonky. Okay. Um, Sandra, you sound good. Chris, can you speak again or say something? Okay. Uh, can you hear me? Hmm. It sounds the same to me. Okay. Well, we'll keep going and we'll have Steve fix this part. Okay. You fly into a city. Okay. So, yeah. So, yeah, I'll explain this, this part and how it kind of works. So, I'll fly into a city. Most of the times I've never been there. And uh, when people walk into this, these events, um, their, their ticket covers unlimited drinks. And we always have some light kind of snacks and stuff to kind of munch on. But it's a great opportunity to experience these fantastic beverages, which I've partnered with, 
so that you can have something at home that's fun to drink. Um, and then there's always like, you know, music and there's some kind of activity that we kind of do. Uh, we're working on curating some really great discussions across the country. Um, so, yeah, I, I encourage people to check social media, Instagram, Facebook, and uh, we always kind of put tickets on sale two months out, um, two to three months out, so that people have, have an opportunity to get their tickets well in advance. But these are just great experiences to meet other people in your city who are also choosing to not drink, even if it's just for one night. Mm, I love it. And I tell you, I love your um, kind of guided discussion or speaker part aspect of your pop-ups and even Austin Sands Bar because, you know, sober people, we aren't really good at small talk. We want to like talk about, you know, of course we start this podcast off talking about the weather, which is kind of funny, but <laughs> normally, you know, we want to like go beyond talk about talking about the weather we want to like get down to like really important you know topics and things that we're passionate about and and purpose and meaning and you know all of these complicated stuff that we want to really talk about and so I love that you bring that aspect into your sans bar experiences yeah I, I really feel like conversation is the um, the product that we, that we serve. I mean, I really tell people that all the time that it's not the drinks and it's not, you know, the, the hot local Austin band that's playing. Um, it really is about making that connection with someone that you don't know. And I, and so we do this, these speaker series where we have, um, people from all walks of life just kind of talk and, those talks create conversation and something to talk about. Right. Right. Um, and I, I just find that um, it, it just, it makes me so happy to see someone walk in and they're nervous and they're like, they're scanning the room. Um, they don't know what to expect and they grab a seat. And by the time that they've heard someone's talk, um, you know, two or three people will approach that person. I mean, un unprompted, like, this is just the culture that that I've created or, or that we've created, that the entire, everyone that comes, they create this, this kind of spirit of you can just talk to anyone and everyone's approachable. And um, it's, it's so much fun to watch people relax and drop their shoulders and um, grab a drink. I mean, it, it is it's my drug. It's the thing that I love. I love watching people connect. It gets me so lifted in a way that drugs and alcohol never could. Mm. Yeah, that's powerful. Right? So, yes. Yeah, it's like, it's, yeah, it's the new, it's, it's a, the new drug and it's fantastic. Oh my gosh. With, with none of the nasty side effects. You know? Right. Totally. Makeover, hangover free. Oh, I like that. Well, um, how can people find out where, where you're going and if you're coming yeah. to their city? Yeah. So I, again, have all of this on, um, the social media, um, the Instagram, Facebook, 
I need to update my website, but I just haven't. I'm not going to even lie to you. <laughs> like, look, I got a lot going on. That's and right. My website's like the last thing that I've, I I need to get it done, and I will get it done. But but Instagram uh, for most up to date. Oh my God! Instagram is the most up to date. And another thing, if people just want to like, you know, ask me questions or reach out to me, um, I am the kind of person that responds to every single Instagram message. Um, because I, I, if you haven't noticed, really enjoy connecting and really enjoy uh, meeting new people and learning from people. Um, you know, I really am that kind of person. And, and I can say no. And if I'm just too busy, I, I'll let someone know honestly. But I'm always open to make new connections with people and connect people to other people that I know. Um, I, I'm totally open to that. So uh, I'm always looking to make friends. And and uh, so please, you know, if anyone wants to reach out, feel free to do so. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm excited. I'm looking at your tour schedule here. Um, and you're coming to San Francisco in August. So I will be there. I'm going to be very excited to come yeah. to that. And then even Phoenix, I might go out to Phoenix. My mom lives in Phoenix to, to, to go out there and do an event. Um, I'm excited that you and Sandra have something coming oh, up right. that I would love if you guys would talk about for our listeners, because you guys are going to be doing an event together. We are. It's really the Holly Whitaker show, right. but <laughs> Chris and I get to be guests uh, on the Holly so, Whitaker tour. Yeah. Tell our listeners yes. in case they don't know what we're talking about. What's happening? Is it February 26th? Yes. February 26th at Book People. Holly um, will be at Book People promoting her book, Quit Like a Woman. And she and I will be in conversation and Chris will be there slinging drinks. Slinging drinks. <laughs> That's I, so fun. I love it. So this is in Austin. Book People is the big, huge bookstore where like lots of book, readings happen. And book People is our big our big independent bookstore. And um, it's so exciting. I cannot wait. I was just thrilled beyond measure when Holly um, asked me or her, you her know, people. Her, her people, <laughs> her people asked me <laughs> to do it. And, um, and, and then I saw Chris was going to be there too. And it's just, it's going to be so fun. Awesome. Yes. I, I'm very excited. I always am excited to see you, Sandra, whenever you come in. And of course, um, you know, whenever Aaron's in town, she comes to Sands Bar. Oh, and I right. just, uh, I appreciate you supporting uh, what I'm doing and what we're doing. I, I just really am glad that uh, Holly's team contacted me. And I think this is just, it's a big moment for Austin. Yeah. Um, I think this is a huge moment for Austin. I think about book people. I think about the legends and the, um, gosh, the notable people that have that have passed uh, through fighting. there, right? Yes. I know. Yes. And, and so you guys are going to be part moment. of it. Oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is a moment. It is a moment. You're thrilling. right. Okay, so I, Chris, I always say that I never get FOMO. Like that's kind of my thing. Like I don't really get it. I have it. Mm -hmm. So it's official. <laughs> I totally freaking have it. I want to be there so bad. And that's, uh, that's very unusual for me. So I, I, yeah, I will admit that right here, right now. Um, I think it would, it's going to be so special and you're right. It is a moment and it, it this movement of, um, sobriety, um, sober curiosity, um, not drinking for the health of it, 
gray area, drinking, all of it, all of it, all of it, all of it. People who have overcome addiction and have made um, better lives for themselves. Like you guys, it's, it's like a, a big party for all of those people, you know, yeah. a declaration yeah. like this is here to stay and um, we're here and we're clear and present for it. You know, mm. it feels like such a beautiful gift. Um, I'm curious, Chris, uh, uh, this is a little off topic, but um, do you, do you ever do the Enneagram? Do you know what your no. number is? I feel like, you, I feel <laughs> I like he's a two, Sandra. I, feel, I know you're not supposed to do that, but I feel like service. Really? I, yeah, connection. maybe. I yeah. Know. I, feel I don't like, know. Uh, I don't... Service and connection. It seems like it's important to you in community. And I love that, Chris. I, yeah. Cool. I just love everything you're doing, Chris. And again, I, I will say it again. You are, your personality, you're just, your presence is, it's very, and then your enthusiasm is very infectious. You always have a big smile on your face every time I see you. And, um, even if you're in the weeds, like I, I've seen you like in the weeds with like 15 people long line and <laughs> still just stopping to chat with everyone and big smile on your face. So, I mean, I was a bartender of alcoholic drinks for a very long time so i know that that's like no little thing yeah oh no i mean are you kidding me like it's the best thing like i <laughs> i mean i think that people someone said that in seattle i mean i was slammed in seattle i mean that event was just monumental i just mm. again it not only just because it was in seattle and i had that great relationship with the city but uh just just the energy in that in that space was in, was was something I had never experienced before. And someone said like, it's been packed and you've moved nonstop for three hours. Um, how are you doing this? And why are you so happy? And I'm like, are you kidding me? This was an idea in my head like three years ago. And here I am in my favorite city in the world. Right. Like at this really something. full circle moment too. Oh, I mean, it was, oh man, I just, I felt like I was walking on the moon. I, it was, it was, um, my goodness, my goodness. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've even stopped to even think about just how full circle that is and just how, um, how powerful, you know, when I was walking in the market yesterday, I was just, I, someone asked me for directions and I could point them the right way. I was like, <laughs> wow, like, look at that. Like I almost belong here in Seattle. Almost. Um, always be a Texan. <laughs> well um so i used to own a wine bar chris and that was the, what yeah that was the beginning of my end i owned one for about seven years so if you ever need somebody i can i can pour a straight drink i'm not i don't know how to make cocktails you'll have to turn to sandra for that but, yeah i can um, i can make a cocktail i can, well, I can make a you know, real i can make a mocktail <laughs> too so yeah yeah, hey, well, that's, that's right. awesome. It's a good skill. It's a good skill to have. <laughs> that's right. Well, and I think it is a good, a good skill to have. And that's, you know, definitely something that I've learned over the course of my um, recovery is to have like a fun drink for sure. Yep. Yeah. Tap yeah. water's not great after a while. <laughs> I mean, stay <laughs> hydrated, <laughs> stay hydrated, people. But yeah, water kind of, yeah, it it's doesn't, it, it, it's not as fun as a, as a, as a pretty as a drink. 
Yeah. It's yeah. a free drink. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So, well, we, it sounds like we could talk to you even more, but we're going to have to wrap this up today, but we, we really appreciate you coming on Chris. And this is the part of the show, which I think our listeners really dig. Um, that, that's what we've heard is that we share, um, we ask our guests to share three items that are in their unruffled toolbox and something that either helps them, you know, with their sobriety, with their creativity, like whatever, whatever you want to throw into the mix. Um, what are your three things? Okay, so my three things are um, travel, meaningful travel. Mm. Um, so yeah, so I'm doing a lot of this travel for, for the bar and doing all that stuff, and I think that's great. But I think having travel or taking time even with work travel to have fun and to go off the beaten path is an important thing. So yeah, meaningful travel. That's good. This one. Um, the next one is... Um, a great drink. Um, and I agree that there is so much um, beyond just drinking water, uh, but there are so many different things you can do and it doesn't have to be complicated. And, and that's one thing that I really preach is like, find a drink that works for you, find a you know, product that works for you. Trader Joe's and World Market are two of the places that make up about 80% of the drinks that I've ever created. Mm-hmm. Um, it is another vote to world market. We have, they should sponsor us because we've talked about world market <laughs> yes. quite a bit. <laughs> we want to sponsor. Maybe we can pick Chris's brain after the show. We need a sponsor. Oh, absolutely. I, I, think, I think I have a few ideas for you, but sure. I mean, those are the two places where, and especially if you're not comfortable with going into a liquor store or total wine and more, um, which does have a great, you know, selection of non-alcoholic mixers, and um, non-alcoholic beers, they're, it's, those two places are safe, and, they, and mm-hmm. they, they feel very safe. And when I started going down this road now, mind you, I had over a decade of sobriety, or was coming up on a decade of sobriety when I started Sandspar, I still did not feel entirely comfortable just spending hours in a, in a liquor store. So Same, yeah. um, those, those spaces are pretty safe, you know, and, and yeah, I, I love both, and you can always find this this weird thing or this rare, you know, I was like, what does saffron taste like in a drink, you know, and, and just <laughs> right. I was able to play with all these flavors because of the um, variety at World Market. And um, so I totally suggest doing that. Um, I, I have too many products that are, you know, friends of mine, so I won't pick a single product, but there are products that are great, don't taste like alcohol, don't, don't, you know, mimic the flavor of alcohol that are still very light and refreshing and botanical. So please uh, find a drink that you really love and, and make that your go-to drink. I think that's very helpful, um, especially in the early days. Love it. Yeah, I like that too. What's your oh. third one? Third one, and I'm actually going to switch it up a bit. I, I was just sitting here thinking about community and connection, and um, my good friend, Laura Bishop, uh, created this company called worry tools and worry tools is a monthly box of products that you can order and it has different different actual tools in it to help combat your anxiety and your worry and i I think that it's just a really good way um you know so you know like um essential oils and teas and all these other things that I just don't always think of when I think about self-care, 
And yeah. I just, I love this concept and, you know, she's a good friend and, and we're doing this thing called Feel Good Fridays, the first Friday of every month here in Austin, where we're bringing in an expert and we're talking about, um, you know, kind of mental health and physical wellness. And so worry tools, that'd be my, my and, and would it be worrytools.com? Is that how people could find that product? I mm-hmm. believe it is worrytools.com, and of course on Instagram it's worrytools, and I will make sure that we get you all the information so that you can add that onto the show notes. Yeah, sure. I have it right here. It is worrytools.com. Thank you so much, Chris. That's going to be yeah. for our listeners. I appreciate that. Oh, it's it's oh. a fantastic idea. Love it. Well, thank you so much, Chris. I'm super excited for you and Sandra to do your event in Austin with Holly. I look forward to meeting you. I'm sure I will plan on meeting you at one of your events this year. And um, I I look forward to it. And are you in San Diego or? I'm in Northern California. So I'm Northern California. Okay. I'm about an hour north of San Francisco in a little farming. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. Well, um, you never know. You uh, never know. <laughs> all the time. So, hey, if, if I can do Birmingham, Alabama, I can do a little more. <laughs> That's right. Our friend well, Aaron Shaw Street, Bur- we're going Bur- there too. Right. <laughs> Birmingham has Aaron Shaw Street. So you're. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's just electric right there. That's just the reason to go to Birmingham. So. Oh, there is no, by no accident did I pick Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Aaron Shaw Street? Yes. Alabama yeah. it is. Yeah, I gotta get my caftan ready to go and some gold accessories to go party with her. So. <laughs> oh yeah, I have to be like because Aaron's always like super stylish. Sandra and, and Aaron are two of the most oh, yeah. stylish people I know. And um, I, I don't think I've ever said this to to either one of them, but like their style game is just always on point without mm-hmm. I mean it's 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 the most put together yet not like super serious fashion vibes in the world. And so, uh, yeah, I, I have to get myself together for Birmingham, but I know Erin's going to come Rest up, ready. Yeah. yeah. She's going to be ready. <laughs> yes. Well, I think they're like my style mavens. That's what I like to think of them as. And yeah. And mm-hmm. I'm sure they could, they could, um, help you out, Chris, if you need it. You, you know what? I'm going to actually talk to Sandra about, yeah. you know, what would she do? I need a, what would Sandra I need a do? makeover. Mm-hmm. I think you need some kind of, yeah, like special, I'm seeing something like kind of, you know, kind of a sans bar, like smoking jacket. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. All right. More will be revealed. I'm going to get on that. I'm going to get on that. What's your size, by the way, Chris? <laughs> we'll talk. We're going to chat about this. I think yeah. I, need to, I need to style you for Holly's event. So. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I would love that. Oh, yes, please. Please. You have such style. Oh, my I gosh. I so look. I, my wife is always like, you're wearing that, Chris. I'm like, I don't know. It looks okay. <laughs> and so <laughs> I would love it as book people to look so stylish and to tell people I was styled by Sandra. Yeah. Okay. Well, I see the love connection happening. This is here. happening. I'm writing good. it on yeah. my style yeah. love connection. On my planner right now. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Oh. Excellent. All right, Chris, we will talk to you. Uh, well, Sandra will be talking to you sooner than me, but thank you so much for taking the time. I know you flew in and it was late and we really appreciate you. Yeah, we so much. You. Glad to do it and glad to talk to both of you. All right. Bye.
The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by Caitlin Schumacher. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designers Chris Aguirre and Amy Lanier. Thanks for listening.